Connect Red are a local communications company. They Vodafone stores all over the Midlands and have just opened in the heart of the Derby and Centre. Get in touch for deals for consumer or business. Let's support our local businesses while they support us. Marvin Robinson, welcome on to, to Talk Derby to me. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, how are you at the minute in the current conditions? I'm very well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's surviving. Um, I think it's been a good, for me personally, a good, good reset. Um, I can sit and think about my priorities, life priorities, family priorities, um, and then obviously kind of personal goals and things like that. So. It's, it's been difficult for the children. <laughs> We've been very limited, but at the same time, I think, weirdly, some of it was needed, personally. Yeah. Yeah. What is life for you at the minute, then? What is your role? Are you still within the game? Yeah, um, I mean, in, in terms of what people would define as being in the game, uh, I sit on all the regulatory panels for the FA. Um, quite, I do that quite regularly. Um, and that's participants from from all, all sides of the game, from Premier League all the way down, grassroots. So I do that. Very interesting. Um, been part of some of the most high-profile cases, um, some of the most interesting cases. So I've really enjoyed doing that in the last few years. Um, other aspects of football. Um, I mean, I'm a trustee for the English Schools FA. Which is obviously the governing body for all schools football. So, you know, when kids are coming through and playing school, county, district, all that kind of stuff. Um, if people aren't aware, that's the governing body that runs that. So, again, been doing that for the last few years. Really enjoyed that. That's obviously been very difficult. Uh, had to make some difficult decisions over the last year and a bit due to one schools completely closing at, at one point and obviously grassroots football being kind of shelved. So, you know, decisions made around that, getting kids act, kids active and getting kids being able to play football and, you know, having to wait for the schools to actually open before they can do all that kind of stuff. It's been, it's been challenging. But again, um, I think all that kind of thing stands me in good stead. And that's why I do it, you know, in terms of learning, in terms of um, educating myself and getting experience in things. For some of my, for my personal goals in terms of when I go in football, where do you want to go? Have you got an end goal? I mean, I've done, I've, I've been, recently I was chief executive at the Peterborough United Foundation. Um, that was an interesting role. Um, you know, again, that part of it is looking more at, at the community building and the community impact of a football club. Um, and again, I really enjoyed that. Um, and that had interesting features again. Uh, so that was good. My, my, my aim, um, short to medium term, is probably to be the chief executive or, or a sporting director of a, a football club. The overall aim is, is, you know, the very top level, Premier League uh, or leading something like the, the FA, organisations like that, Premier League or, or the PFA. So again, I think all the things that I'm doing 
building up that experience and, and within the world of football there, there's not too many people like me um, and also with the experiences that I have so so yeah that, that, that's where back to the very top I started my career as a player in the Premier League um, and as, as a what's defined as an executive off the pitch now then you know I don't want to end my career in the Premier League, as in that's the end. I want to get back to the very top, which which will mean being part of the Premier League again. Yeah. Being involved in the in the game at grassroots and community level, do you think there'll be a long term effect from from what's happened over the last 16, 18 months on on kids' development and and what's happened? Yeah, there'll always be an impact. What that impact is is hard to define. I think for some. There should be that love of the game. Like I just want to go out and play football again. Again, that's kids and that's adults. You know, I've played a few games for the veteran, a local veteran side myself, and, and and you know the difference between pre-pandemic and, and and well, I wouldn't say post, but you know now um, is vast. And what some of those people have lost, myself included, you know. They didn't realise they actually had through being part of all that. So um, there's definitely going to be an impact infrastructure, organisationally. There's, there's going to be massive fallout. Um, you know, clubs going bust, clubs folding, clubs leagues restructuring, meaning clubs folding again based on that. So that you've got all that kind of stuff happening. Um, but at the same time, there's this thing of separating the wheat from the chaff. So the, the well-run or well-funded or well-engaged community clubs will thrive and have thrived. Yeah. And, and the ones that are less so haven't. And they'll have to make decisions into converting their culture around that and, and bringing the fans in. You've seen that in terms of the European Super League and, and the Premier League. So, yeah, I, th I think you have that cultural shift, but what that is, I, I'm not sure just yet. You've played uh, for quite a few non-league clubs as well, and it's at the best of times for some non-league clubs, it is very hand-to-mouth, even pre-pandemic, isn't it? So there will be clubs that really struggle because of not having fans in and not having any, any turnover at all, won't they? Yeah, I mean... A lot of that, again, when you're talking about putting people on furlough and things like that, a lot of those, a lot of those clubs will be paying players and staff, you know, not on payroll, if you want to call that. So, loads of players, all of a sudden, their income or the majority of their income, or, or definitely income that that supports their family life, just gone and lost. Um, no supporters, no concessions, no. I don't know. Our money. <laughs> no, no, no social gatherings in the in the you know clubhouse, which brings in and generates money. All gone. So I think people have to think smarter. There should be better strategy, even at the lowest levels, where people are actually thinking about right. How can we generate other streams of income? How can we self-sustain? Uh, where I think it, football has been blasé for uh, a long, a long time. Where did your journey in football start then? When we when we have people on the podcast, we always start right from the very beginning. What are your, your earliest memories of, of football and getting involved in the game? Were you a natural? Um, 
as a youngster, to be honest, my interest was was athletics and cross country. Um, you know, I used to run for Wolverhampton Bills and Athletics Club, um, train there. You know, doing kind of 100, 400 cross country, obviously long jump, triple jump, all that, and then football kind of. Obviously, my dad and my uncles were all interested in football, and I see them playing for what now I know was the local pub team. You know, it was their team. You know, growing up was their team. Um, but really, become later into primary school. My first first time I ever played football was for my primary school team, and I remember I just remember the teacher saying to me played left back and it was like and I was young, I think two years young or something don't go over the halfway line I didn't really know much else other than that and I remember constantly running and then screeching to a halt right at the halfway line and people kind of looking at me what, what you're doing and then late in the second half he'd be like yeah yeah go forwards now go forwards now um, but we always used to lose heavily um, and then I changed primary school um, and I remember then sport, in terms of sport and achievement, started to become much more part of my life. So, you know, obviously the school was rounders. We did town championships, cross country and athletics. And then they had a good football team. So then you become part of that. But I was just an other you know, I was one of the, I was a year below because it's normally that it's just the last year of school that's got the team. I was a year below then. Um, and then that's when I think it started some kind of traction. And then obviously my last year got picked for the, the district side. Um, and I think from there, once you get picked for the district side, it's then, oh, okay. Um, I'm good. But I was never. I see people saying like, you know, the ball, the ball's been their life ever since, you know, as soon as they could walk, as soon as, you know, they could open their eyes, they've had a ball. That wasn't me growing up. Um, and even when I signed for Derby, I mean, I stayed at school and did sixth form. I didn't, I didn't do what was classed then as a full, like YTS. I stayed in sixth form and I had one day a week off from school which was generally a Thursday, which was probably not a great day when you look at the schedule of a football club, um, you know, kind of Thursday. The, at that point, then, the first team would go down to the baseball ground and start doing team play, ready for the match on a Saturday, which then meant that some of the younger players would be taken along as bodies. But there was just, you know, so it wasn't that complete. If I was in then, I wouldn't see the first team. And, and be privy to the kind of that. So I didn't, I've not had a conventional route at all. Um, but now, you know, what is a conventional route? But at that point, definitely, you know, odd in terms of, you know, when people say, no, you still at school, why, why are you doing that? Why are you not just doing the YTS? Well, because I went to a good school and what I knew was school, exams, university. And that's what everybody within my sphere was doing. And that's what the most important kind of football. I didn't really know anybody that had ever, as you call it, made it. Like now I've, I've seen since lots and lots of people and, you know, and lots of 
I've lots of friends with kids who are, at, you know, you see everybody, the young kids about eight signing their contract in front of the boards and all that kind of stuff, which I find crazy. Um, but lots more people are part of football, if that makes sense. Whereas then, I, c I couldn't tell you one person I knew, either from friend of a friend or locally that had made it, you know, it, in the top league. I, I didn't know anybody. And, and so that wasn't a normal possibility. So it, it, when I signed professional at Derby, it was just a, well, a paid year out. And my place at university, I had a one-year contract at Derby. So it was a paid year out. Some of my friends were going traveling. Some of my friends were going straight to university. I was being paid to be at Derby type of thing. That's how I saw it. I've got to move to Indigs, kind of like a residential. Yeah, and 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 we just go from there. And 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 that was that was how I saw it. To be honest, is it harder to impress and and get the professional contract when you're only there one day, and the lads are probably getting a little bit more time out there, and they're around the place a lot more, and they're getting noticed. You're only there for a, on a Thursday in a match. Well, of course, because because I mean, a sign for Derby as what the age group would have been under sixteens come late into that, came on, played a trial game, did well. Um, and then I think there was this little upheaval in terms of uh, who was head of the academy then. It, there, was a, there was a little changeover. Um, I can't remember the name, Jerry Summers. And uh, I feel really bad, I can't remember his surname then, but his name was Richie, he was in charge of the youth team. Wait, Richie Williams? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Richie Williams, so it was Richie Williams, I was like his discovery, I think, um, came, played a, a youth team game against Nottingham Forest, I think, did well, he wrote me a letter, we still got the letter, he wrote me a letter saying, you know, come, me, my mom, come and have a meal, we want to sign me, blah, 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 then we didn't hear anything, and I think he'd had to go in hospital and have an operation, so my mum contacted the club kind of like six, seven weeks later saying, obviously we've had this and we've not heard anything since. Um, what's going on? And then it was this thing of, I think it was Steve Taylor, Jerry Summers kind of, well, anybody that signs, you know, needs to come through us. We kind of don't really know what's being promised. Um, and, and so in a way, it's null and void until we say yes, in a nutshell. So I had to go and play another trial game um, for Derby under 16, so with my age group. Um, I think we played Warsaw. Um, and I knew all the Warsaw lads because they were local to me and I'd, I'd played Warsaw Sunday League and stuff like that. So I, I think we played Warsaw, beat them, got a hat trick. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that, 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 that was the end of it. But I think I had to come and play another game or something like that. We were like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and again, I think I played and scored again. And then it was like, yeah, okay. We signed, signing you on in schoolboy terms, it was, because um, I was going to stay at school one day off a week. That was really difficult in hindsight, because being at the school I went to grammar school, so A-levels were super important. At the same time, still playing football for my school, the district, the county, and then England schoolboys. Wow. And then the youth team. So you'll get a week. Well, if you, if you spin a week going into another week, I might have played 
Saturday, Sunday. They might play the school games Tuesday, a county game Wednesday. You know, there might have been an, a cup game on the Thursday, then the youth team game on the Saturday. Then when you get into the youth team game, everybody is now professional, full-time, you know, training, whether that's physically or technically. And that becomes, so not only was I going into that game as my kind of second, third or fourth game of the week, I was also behind in terms of, you know, professional conditioning. So the first year, I did all right. I scored a few, I scored quite a few goals. Did all right, and I was doing all right. Going into my second year, I think what happened was a young lad called Craig Hansen, striker, he's local from from Derby. He was a year below me, so obviously now he'd been doing well, and he was ahead of me. They saw him every day, you know. He was ahead of me, and, and I think I found that difficult. Because one, I'm away. And then I'm coming in, we've got a youth team game. We've got to think the manager's thinking, well, who am I picking? This is my team that I've been here all week. And this is kind of, I was, oddly, I was kind of like a trialist, wasn't I? Every week. So I'm going to go with, with my team. And then to find somebody, I'd never expect somebody younger than that, younger than me, ahead of me, yeah. and respected as being better at that point. Hadn't experienced that before, and that that was that was challenging, um, and I didn't do so well the second year. Um, remember, kind of struggled, and then as we got into exam season, we, we, you know, it got tough to concentrate on the two. Um, and I think what ended up happening, as as the myth myth goes, um, one of the last games, the end of the season, we played Coventry. And a few trialists came, like Sinclair Legate, Legette, who ended up signing. If you get a few trialists come to that game as well. And Jim Smith come to watch that game, I think to make decisions on some players. Um, and I was on the bench. So obviously I knew this, this is kind of the last game. Not Nobody's kind of said anything. Mm, this is probably the last chance I've got to impress. Um, and I'm on the bench. So it's not really looking great, um, but playing for England schoolboys was a good player. Just I just wasn't in that full time loop. So in that game, I came off the bench, changed the game, scored a goal. We ended up winning or whatever it was, and and I think off the back of that, Jim was convinced enough to give me a chance, and, and in the sense of. We've not seen him full time. Let's see how he develops being in full time. He's still able to score and um, have an effect and an impact at this level without being here full time. So I think that it was that kind of thinking. I don't know any more than that. Um, and then my first year after I finished, because I finished my exams late, did already start pre season. So I went literally from for my A-levels, so I think my last A-level was the very last day of A-levels, typically. They'd already started pre-season. I literally did my last A-level on the Friday, moved to Derby and digs on the Sunday, straight into pre-season on the Monday, um, straight into it. And I just in that first year, I just think that my development just accelerated. 
just exponentially. Um, but again, through that journey, I still had this challenge of, I don't know, Craig Hansen playing in the reserves, the reserves playing in the Pontins and me kind of thinking, okay, well, I'm scored a hat-trick in the youth team here and I've, I've done this and I've done that. And, and why am I not getting a chance? And I remember, I remember having a, a conversation with Bill Bezik specifically about that. Like, I think I'm doing really well. I'm actually comfortable now. I was obviously comfortable enough to to kind of pull him even to have that conversation oh, and have that conversation. And I remember he just said, he was kind of just calm up. Don't worry. How do you know that they haven't got a plan for you? It could have just been making it up, you know, as you know, psycho psychologists, you know, you don't know what the plan is. So that just made me think, oh, okay. What I took from that was, ah, oh, they're not going to expose me to reserve team football was, was men's football then. Um, they're not going to expose me to that yet until they believe I'm, I'm ready. Physically, mentally, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'd only been full time a few months, regardless of how many goals I'd scored and all that kind of thing. Um, that that's how I saw it, and I think the first year, two years, I just went like that. Um, I mean, by the end of that season, that first season, I was in the first team squad. Um, you know. So, 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 yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you find it a, a massive step up when you went full time for the first full time? Going from, like you say, just going in one week, one day a week, you go pro and you're you're in and around them unbelievable players. No, because what what happened for me was it got easier mm. because I had still been in and around these players. Yeah, one day for one day. So then all of a sudden, when I've spent even just one full week. Running, hills, doing all the drills, doing all the shuttles, getting all that conditioning in. Because, like I say, I, I, I was I was excellent at athletics and cross country anyway. So once I then had that, what I call more of the football fitness and the football conditioning, in terms of the physical side of it, it was a doddle. I was way up there as as, as one of the best at the club, including the first team which helped so it just made the games easier I wasn't tired in the games then because it wasn't my fourth fifth game of the week it was my first on top of that I'd spent all week conditioning my body so it, so that's why I think the development just went through the roof because it, it just become easy it, it did if, if I remember that point it, it, it just felt easy to the point of not really understanding why this all of a sudden just feels easy it was a big struggle the year before but that's because I had all this emotional stuff going on young lad i'm doing exams i'm then going into a scenario one day with people that kind of know but don't really know you know is the manager kind of obliged to play me a little bit or not all that changed i built friendships built relationships with people they knew me better i knew them better and, and it just it just become easy to be honest what was it like at Highbury then making your, your debut because like you say we were playing schools, counties and, and schoolboys a few years earlier and then you're like on the same pitch as Wasn't it, that was a few players. months earlier, yeah. yeah. A few months, yeah. Yeah, I always I always it, it always makes me chuckle when I hear about um players and, and this everybody 
eulogises over a player coming from non-league to the first team and, and this big jump. But the reality is to go from your district or your sixth form school team to the Premier League is a much bigger jump than playing for and again, I didn't know non-league football at this point, but obviously later on I've come into to, to play non-league football as we know it in this day and age in the conference and below and then play first team football is much closer in terms of mentally and physically what's required. Yes, the game is different. So I, I never understand why we put that on so much more of a pedestal than, say, a young player who's, like you say, just come straight out of the academy, who's, who's, who's basically left school, gone into the academy, gone into the first team. That is a much bigger jump, in yeah. my opinion. You might say that's, you know, I've got my own personal interest within that, but it, it, it just is. Yeah. It just is. You can't tell me that going playing for, I don't know, Kidderminster Harriers, as was the young lad at Liverpool, him playing for Kidderminster Harriers, and then having to play for Liverpool is less of a step than him playing for, I don't know the names of the schools in Derby now. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're in though, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, playing for Mike at Wolverhampton Grammar School and then playing in the Premier League, of course it is. Of yeah. course it is. So, um, it was surreal coming on, you know, Arsenal. <laughs> they weren't the Arsenal of today, they were the best. At that point, you know, we're talking... Adams, Keown, Seaman, Dixon, Winterburn, you know, I can't remember if it was Perez or Overmars that day, Vieira's, Petit, you know, Netanelka. We're talking a serious team. So it was surreal coming on the pitch. Um, and I remember as I came on, I think there was a break in play. And I remember looking back at the clock, uh, the hybrid clock or whatever it's called, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm. I'm I'm on the pitch. I'm, I'm a player because I never, I never classified myself and others as players until they've played in the first team. Mm. And even then, once you played in the first team, I don't think you can class. Personally, I don't classify a player as playing for for that club until they've started a game in the first team. Yeah. That's just how I how I measure. You know, people say, "Oh, yeah, I was at such and such." Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was in the academy or I was in the... That doesn't really count, you know. That That's like me saying, you know, well, as a young lad, I went and trained at Villa or I went and trained at Stoke or I went and trained wherever I trained. It doesn't really matter. I wasn't I wasn't a player for that club until I played in the first team for that club. Yeah. I didn't play for Aston Villa. So, so I would have walked around and said, yeah, I've been at Villa. I've been at... It does, but that's just me, I, again... Maybe I have the privilege of saying it because I have played in the first team of places. So, and Derby County were were good to you, and obviously, um, yeah, you had a difficult time at Derby being in court and whatnot. Is that something we can touch on? Yeah, yeah. we can touch on, on on my story. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what what was because it was a bit little bit before my time. So, what was the kind of background there? What Derby County did, and I know Steve Round was was in court with you, wasn't he? And, and yeah. Derby County back to you. What what happened with with that? Um, I mean, there was an incident in in my hometown and the club were made aware of it through the best way to describe it 
is it was kind of like the club were contacted and said, oh, if you don't get rid of him or sack him, we're going to go to the papers and we're going to this and we're going to that. So it was a kind of, the club were unsure what had happened. They'd contacted me. I'd given my version of events um, and the club were in a, a funny position because it's like, well, they haven't gone to any authorities, but in the in the day and age of the news of the world, um, they're, they're saying that they're going to put this story out. So we've listened to what you've had to say. We want to, obviously, the club obviously wants to protect itself, and protect its interests. Um, so the, the club um, assigned its lawyers and said, what we think we should do is we should go um, to the police station and we should give our version of events because this person, it's obviously they're, they're trying... I don't want to use the word blackmail because it seems excessive, but you know, if you if you're saying something's happened and you're contacting a the club rather than an authority, it didn't it didn't make sense. It didn't add up. Yeah, the club wanted to do that, and so um, as a young lad, I think your career is your career's in their hands. This is the benefit of hindsight now. It is something I actually discussed not too long ago. And I think I followed the club's intention more so than what friends and family were obviously advising because I felt that my career was in jeopardy if I didn't in terms of the club. So the club was saying, do this and everything will be okay. And that's kind of what I did. Um, and I regret doing that now, most definitely. Now, Steve Round, fantastic. I mean, uh, I spoke to him a few months ago now. Um, I, did, uh, I went and, and met him at Aston Villa training ground when he was director of football there to get some advice on my next steps in my career now and all that kind of stuff. And he came into the court at the end and, and, and spoke on my behalf and, and, and said some nice things, you know. Well, they weren't just nice things, they were true things about me, yeah. Um, but I think the biggest mistake in all that was, I think, following the club's advice in order to, what I call, secure my future. You know, I was offered a four-year contract. Um, and I felt that was on the premise that I just did as I was told. Whereas I think I would have challenged things. Not only that, we had, um, I think this is part of why I do what I do in terms of, I'm not a lawyer, but I do regulatory commissions. I'm also now on the um, panel for sports resolutions. So that deals with all the governing bodies, British Gymnastics, UK Athletics, Rugby, you know, you name it, everything, hockey, everything, uh, cricket. So I think my interest around that is because I felt very hard done by within that legal process. I never, ever said a word in court. I was never, ever asked to say anything in court, ever, which at the time I was passive. At, at the time, I was kind of just following everybody's advice on what I'm being told to do. Looking back, I just didn't understand that. There was never anybody else that ever came into the court and gave 
um, evidence against me or anything like that. You know, what had been reported in the press um, is hyperbola and was not the true account of, of the incident at all. Um, and I just, in hindsight, I look at oh, little old me just kind of following rather than leading. And that's part of my development as a mature adult now in terms of wanting to be a leader and also a parent. I study a thing called concerted cultivation. Look that up, I won't go into it now. Yeah, but concerted cultivation in terms of, of um, my children. And there's a thing in it around, the book's called, there's a book called uh, the, Out, the Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And there's a scenario given in there about black working class families and how they respond in the face of authority and what they do. Yeah. And I look in that and I can, I can see that what happened in terms of just doing as we're told. Um, so I think that has really influenced me personally going forward. Um, and I really regret not, not, not challenging. I mean, I was offered what was a plea bargain. So I go into the station, we surrender ourselves with the lawyers from the, from the club. I'm offered this plea bargain and it's basically just say, um, we've listened to what you've got to say. Um, you're denying that part of it, but just, if you just admit this, then you'll get a caution and that'll be the end of it. That's what, that's what I was told. Yeah. And that's what I did. And then, you know, you're then bailed for four weeks or something like that. And we go back and it's, we're going back and it's, as far as we're aware, it's just a case of, right, bailed, you're kind of going to sign a sheet, officially get this caution, and then that's the end of it. And what actually happened is uh, a different officer is involved. They change the charge. And I go back into another interview on the, on the basis of the fact that I've already given them a guilty plea for this plea bargain. So, so it was like, you're in then in a scenario where you've already said you're guilty. Yeah, not of that, but you know, I was at fault here and here, you, you know, and, and that was just so odd. So I feel duped yeah. and I didn't challenge, but at the same time, I've got to accept that I was, I was young and I didn't really have that, well, I didn't have that knowledge and I didn't have that support that only cared about me, for me, there to help me. Yeah. Um, and again, that comes back to this concerted cultivation thing, so which is very interesting. So that, that's my only regret around that. Um, and I think I don't know what perspective of me that puts out within the club or within the fans and all that, but it can only be negative. It's never going to be positive. Um, and I think that affected my character. It affected that, that supreme confidence I had in and around the football aspect of things in the club. And you kind of retreat and you try and become more humble and more subservient to appease people. Because 
there's this big thing in the paper that says how how wrong you've been and how bad you are you're then trying to pander to everyone to prove that that's not correct um and i think that's what it did to in this is all in hindsight yeah um I think that's that's what happened around there, which isn't good for your football performance. It isn't. You have to have at the elite level, which Derby were at at that point. That the elite, you know, I think we finished eighth, seventh. Yeah. yeah, we're at the elite level. Not being back at that level since, so it's a different, it's a different kettle of fish when you talk about breaking into that squad, breaking into that team, and actually playing games. We're talking the equivalent of being at a. I don't know where the league's finished now. You know, it can't have been West Ham. Who's doing around that? It's probably Arsenal, wasn't it? Who was eighth? Yeah. yeah. We're talking at that level at that point. So that was difficult. It was a hard pill to swallow. And, you know, a few months after that, I broke my leg. So those two things, well, we know those two things slide indoors, two things combined become sliding doors because not only am I trying to appease everybody because of that incident I then have a general <laughs> confidence crisis because my leg's been smashed into and then when you're trying to recover from that and there's lots of complications you've got oh wait there I'm not the quickest I'm not the best at the bleep test anymore. I'm not the best when we go running around. Uh, is it Dolly Abbey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, you know, I'm not in the top five at agility. I'm, all of a sudden, all those things were natural God-given talent has been reduced. And then you've got that mental side of it. So, so when they talk about mental side of football now, yes, Derby were cutting edge at that point with people like Bill Bezik and around and with us using ProZone and all those kind of things. But the 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 mind, the mental health, all that kind of support side was was, was obviously lacking in those days because it was older days, less staff. I mean, look at how many staff that some of the clubs have now compared to, to then, you know, they just couldn't, one, they couldn't cater for all of that and two, that just wasn't quite a thing yet. So those two, those those two things, I think, generally shaped the direction of my career. Do you think Derby could have done more to support you through that, that time with the mental side of things and and everything that you went through? I think the clubs always can do more. Yeah. If I, if I if I think if I go back, and again, there's people Neil Silly, I was in touch with him not long ago get on great with him to help me out later. You know, I think when I got moved to Tranmere at some point, he helped me do, do that. And I really like, these were the people in charge. It, it was the, it wasn't defined as sports science. These were the physios, um, Dan Farrell, fitness coach. You know, like you saying, Steve Round, people like that. I really like those people. I'm still in touch with those people and they did help. But the club can always do more. It can. When I, when I look at the round and, and try and be objective and think, okay, I broke my leg. I then had massive complications with my foot within that break. And I don't, I don't remember being given a day off 
in, a, in, in, in or, or a period of time off. You know, we, I was out over 18 months with the injury. You know, 12 months after the injury, I still couldn't walk properly. And we had upheaval of staff because Jim went, then Colin Todd took over, then John Gregory come in, you know. After all that period of time, I remember my first actual day back training properly was John Gregory's first day. And what he did that day was just do tests and assessments on everyone. So this is my first day back training after being out 18 odd months. He doesn't know, he doesn't know the struggle I've got just to get to that point. So I remember doing an agility test and I'm, I don't know if we say out of the 20 odd players, I'm bottom third. Yeah. That was crushing because to me, I was always top five at least. So, I, you know, and, I, and I'd done so much just to get to that point. And now I had to impress this new man who'd just come in. He didn't know me. He didn't know, oh, he used to be this or he was that or all those people had gone. Yeah. So, again, that's another challenge. And again, I think as best I could, I did respond to that a bit I came back and I still ended up scoring in Premier League after that you know so I know within myself there is there is that whether you call it fight determination stubbornness whatever you want to call it but there's a limit if you can only run so fast and you can only move so quick now there's a limit to where I can get back to yeah was it your decision to leave Derby County and, and move on no, I mean, the last year we had was one of the oddest experiences. I'll say that, one of the oddest experiences of my life. Um, the season, so the season before, my last year contract was in the championship. So season before, like I say, got back, scored in the last Premier League game of the season at Sunderland. Um, in the summer, John Gregory sent me a letter, handwritten, this is my year, da, da, this is my season, da, da, make sure you come back, blah, 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 blah. We'd already had meetings in kind of the Easter time and he said he was getting rid of this striker, he was getting rid of that striker and, you know, he's talked about Darius Vassell and, and what he did with him. And, you know, he, I'll be honest, he got me all pumped up and all fired up. You know, I'd, I'd have been at that coming at the end, I performed well in the reserves, I got back, I got into the first team and I'd scored and in my head now it was like, right, have a break, have a great pre-season. This is the lowest level Derby's been at since I've been at the club. So professionally, this is the lowest level I've had to perform at yeah. uh, for the club championship. So even with the spread of strikers, I'm looking personally, I think I'm thinking like 25 games plus, this is how I'm calculating things. And I'm thinking I can definitely score. And my friend, um, my friend had done that. I don't know whether it was previous season or season before. Michael Ricketts had come yeah. up with Bolton and had a great season in the Championship, and then gone up. and And, and in my head, I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what Mike's done. You know, I'm gonna have that impact at, at, at this level. Uh, we did pre-season to the point, you know, we do last man on someone's back. He's jumping on my back, you know. Lads are taking them. Me, oh, it's your dad. It's your dad. Um, last preseason game before the glamour friendly, uh, scored a hat trick. Um, 
you play the glamour friendly and and i remember the team sheet going up and i was the last name on the team sheet without a number and i thought that's weird why haven't got a number didn't think anything on it because i'm in i'm in the squad anyway we play the game we don't look like scoring just look you know nothing's happening i'm thinking yeah it's gonna gonna bring me on here you know even the last 10 minutes where I can't remember who we were playing normally play someone like Valencia or somebody like that yeah I can't remember um, and then he brought on Marcus to a guy now obviously now I was like Marcus had a great fantastic career but at that point he wasn't deserving of being in front of myself or even in the squad um, and I thought Oh, and then I didn't play. And I remember my mom saying something. I was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry about it. You know, he's obviously rolling out there. And, and I thought, okay, maybe he's challenging me here. He's trying to get me fired up. I know he had seen different things, you know, when he'd say whatever he's saying to Janola at Villa and things like that. Maybe he's just, he's just being, he's doing that to, to, to kind of spark something. So, right, don't worry about that. I'm on it. And then first game of the season, not in the squad. First month drifts by, not in the squad. I remember looking, one of the early games, we had Wolves. Obviously, I'm from Wolverhampton. Uh, some of the lads I played with at District and, and Sunday League played for Wolves, like Lee Naylor. Um, Derby and Wolves were favourites to go up that season. Wolves at home. Um, it's like, right. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm in the squad for that. And we played a reserve game, I'm sure scoring a reserve game, whatever. And then that game was even crazier because I think everybody was in the stand. Dean <laughs> Clancy, Dion Burton, I can't think, everybody. And then he called it Gary Twig. Never seen. Remember that it's not like nowadays where everyone's at the same site. He was based at the baseball ground with the youth team. He'd never heard of this kid. Never seen him. He'd not even trained. Wow. And we're like, and then, okay. <laughs> He's in the squad. Oh, I think maybe it's a great game, you know, goal score. We don't look like we're scoring. So maybe he's looking what else is in within the club. But obviously, we don't look like we're scoring, but I've not even been given a chance. I've not even been in the squad yet. So to then see then Gary Twig come into the squad and not only that start and then start left midfield when he was a striker it was just bizarre and long story short that whole season was bizarre and there's lots and lots of myths and stories and, and things going on about what was going on behind the scenes but all I can tell you is some of it must have been true because it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever and up to this day, I don't think they've ever officially said why he was put on gardening leave. Um, we can speculate. Yeah. There was things flying around from trying to devalue the club so that him and his agent could purchase the club, you know, which is why then he had kind of Ravenelli, Craig Burley, um, who else? I can't remember who else. A certain core of players, the, the, the big hitters, the, big, the high earners, all shunned, and then they were all going to be paid off. And, and my understanding, I didn't know them, but my understanding is once they agree then to to a payoff, they can stop paying them immediately. 
because otherwise the amount you're negotiating as a settlement is going to constantly change Yes. on a daily, weekly basis, match basis. So as soon as you go into that, you know, negotiation, they can stop paying and obviously save all that money on those players. Yeah. It was just so random. And I, and I was thinking, well, I'm not one of the highest paid players. Why am I part of this group? I couldn't understand why I couldn't get anywhere near the first team. Couldn't. We nearly got relegated. We couldn't score goals. I'd scored the last goal in the Premier League, like scoring in the reserves. And I, I just didn't understand what was going on. What I did know was, in my contract, if I made another two appearances, I had to have a new contract. And obviously, that's the minimum value of your previous one. So whatever value contract they gave me, it had to match up to the four-year contract they'd given me previously. Yeah. If I paid, if I made two more appearances, not even starts, just, I could have come on, come on for the last five minutes in two games. So that probably fell into it but at the same time I saw myself as part of the younger future so I could have played so that couldn't have been it it wasn't like they had to give me you know <laughs> a messy size contract or anything like that so it didn't it just didn't make sense it didn't make sense he was put on gardening leave right at the end of the season and, and basically I didn't play all the season because of that um, you didn't know or hear anything so your contract runs, so the season finishes in May, your contract actually runs to the end of June. Yeah. So we didn't hear or know anything. And I used to live next door but one to Ian Everett, who'd obviously that season, he'd, he'd come from nowhere and played 30-odd games himself, which was bizarre. Those players that had come out of nowhere and played loads of games. Um, and on the 30th of June, I got a letter through the door. I've never spoke to anyone at the club saying, oh, thanks, but you're not going to be, you know, renewing your contract, blah, 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 blah. That was it. Never spoke to anyone from the club. It, it was literally a letter through the door on the very last day possible. Wow. And I think the only thing that made me not, in that moment, as upset and as angry as I really was, was the fact that I think Ian Everett got the same letter. And so it didn't make it, it's probably not nice, but the fact that we're both in the same boat, we're both in that same pain. But if you think he'd played the 25, 30 games at season, so how, how was a young player coming through playing 25, 30 games? Has he been released? It, it didn't make sense at all. Yeah. So the only, you know, I took solace in, oh, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Nothing's right. And there's obviously the club gone to pot and it just is what it is. Again, hindsight, I was too passive. Should have challenged the club a lot earlier. I've been on loan at Tramia earlier this in that season and Tramia wanted to sign me and the club had refused to let me go. Mm. So they <laughs> not let me go to a club at Christmas. And they're asking, or they're asking too much money for me, and then release me at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. We've had, we had uh, we've had a few on from that side, um, and Warren Barton was quite vocal about the fact that he thought if you kept that side together, they'd have won the championship and been back up within one season, and wouldn't have had the the years of 
trouble that came along afterwards. Is that do you, would you go along with that? Do you think if you'd have played the people that were getting left out, they'd have had a chance of, of winning that league? Of course, it, it, it didn't make sense. Yeah, it was like, look at okay, Dion Burton left, and then did he get got promoted with Portsmouth as the main yeah. strike? You know, none of us have played at the championship. We'd only ever played at the, the, the league above. And, you know, naturally you're going to be one of the favourites. doesn't mean you're going to go up. But there was sabotage. That's, that's the only way to put it. And you had a strong core. And even if you say the players that came from nowhere and he brought in, you know, Tuggy, Eisel, um, Ian Everett at that point, um, Lewis Hunt, yeah. who all proved to be very effective players as well. They did. So, in the end, so these lads have come through Derby, what would now be the academy. They'd all come through. There was a call, then you had me, I'd come through, then you had Pablo Mills, then you had. Um, there was a, a strong call. And then, if you looked at the senior players, Yes, you could have trimmed some of the senior players, but naturally, as you've got relegated. Um, but what they did just doesn't make sense. There was sabotage, and that's why that story about devaluing, uh, you know, and putting it the club in jeopardy in order to take it over, that, that rang, that had some kind of truth in it to me, in the way I, I'm trying to rationalise it. Um, you had Mark Poon, I think Everton bid £5 million for Mark Poon. And they wouldn't let him go. And then a week later, they sat us in the room saying, can we take wage deferrals? Because with ITV Digital had gone bust and, and whatever. And I remember sitting in the room and, and going, but you could have just got five million, five million pounds from Everton, which five million pounds was big money them days for a goalkeeper. So you haven't got any money, but you won't take five million. And we had Andy Oates. It wasn't like if we didn't have him, we didn't have any goalkeepers. And if you look what was below that and that, uh, over time, Lee Grant, Lee Camp, they, they, to go into the championship with yeah. cool homegrown, there's plenty. So if you've got no money, why haven't you taken £5 million for that player? And then obviously his wages come off the bill. Now you're asking the player not to be paid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. It is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. You've, um, do you have any regrets looking back? At, uh, any, we know we've touched on a few, but across your, your playing career, anything anything you maybe could have changed or gone in a different direction? Or um, I think I should never have gone on loan, which is weird to say, because it was a great experience on loan, other than breaking my leg. Um and I worked under great people there, Nigel Pearson, John Dawson, um, John Rudge. But I think me asking, I went in and asked Jim if I could go on loan. And it was more about, well, you know, I've already proved myself, I've already scored, God knows how many goals in reserves, we've won the league, been in the first team, played games in the first team. And I feel like now, kind of dropped down the pecking order yeah. and part of that was like we're saying the incident obviously we've caught a come out of that um situation and i probably felt a little bit 
not pandering to everybody. Like I said, I've gone a bit more insular and a bit, um, trying to think of the right word. Um, it probably, I probably still felt a bit embarrassed within the club. And then the fact that from a footballing point of view, they bought Lee Morris and he was ahead of me now. Not rightly, but he was ahead of me because I'd spent that amount of money. He'd only just come to the club. But I probably felt a little bit embarrassed all round. And that if I went somewhere else and proved myself somewhere else, I could, not a fresh start, but I wouldn't have any, any of these things to worry about when I didn't really need to go there. And I didn't really need to go, you know, we were in the Premier League. I didn't need to go on loan in League One. Um, and ultimately, that's where my leg was broken and my, really my career was ended at that point. So I regret that. I regret not actually challenging why I wasn't playing and saying, play me. Um, and I definitely regret letting John Gregory and Ross McLaren do what they did to me in the last season I was there. Take the peak, basically. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, take, take, take the peak to the point. Um, I remember me having a conversation with Chris Rigger and I think they must have played an away game. First thing, playing an away game, I wasn't in the squad. Um, they'd lost, they hadn't looked like scoring. Chris had, must have gone to management. I don't understand why we're not giving Mar the chance. Like, he'll do this, he'll do that. Worst case, he'll you know, run a channel, whatever it is. Um, and, they, and I think they said something like, oh, you know, well, he's, he's, he's tossing it off in the reserves. Obviously, I'm not there when he's saying that. So then Chris comes back Monday morning. We were all in the same changing room. And he's like, Marv, I'm not like, like, come on, man, stop, stop, stop tossing it off. And I was like, what do you mean? Because we're like, they're saying, you know, obviously, you're not, you, you, I get it, you're, not, you're frustrated because you're not playing, but they're saying, toss it off in reserves, just, just, you know, do what you do. And then, you know, we need you, we need you in the first team. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Who said that? And I was like, Chris. I was like, man of the match and scored two goals. I think we played Tottenham or something like that. If I, I remember it because it was that particular, I think we played Tottenham in the reserve. I said, I scored two goals. I think it's like, really? Because well, this is what they're saying to me. And obviously it's that thing, if you, in your head, it's like, there's no smoke without fire. Why would the manager or management say to me that you're tossing it off? <laughs> or, you know, to use a term, not pulling your weight to be more PC. Don't worry about that. Yeah. If if you're not, like, so, he, you know, he kind of half believed me because obviously the, the facts are there. He can check the thing and score the goals. and the, But the management have said that. And if there's one thing in a game, yeah, I do not toss anything off. I always gave 100%, always work from the front. You know, I look now and see when they're going on about strikers defending from the front and all that. I always did that. And we always, that was part of our formation team play strategy under under Roundy, you know, me and Malcolm Christie when we were in that reserve team doing that kind of thing. We always did that. So so me giving any less than 110% in a, in, a, in a fixture 
uh, is a fantasy. Um, so my regret would be not challenging them. And I think, again, it comes back from this embarrassment of that incident where I probably never wanted to cause a kerfuffle ever because I never wanted anyone to bring that back and challenge me with that. You know, oh, well, we've done you a favour because of this. I, I, this is all hindsight, but definitely, definitely that. I look at look at players and they go and say, oh, I should be playing and all. And I never, ever did that. I always felt merit. I always felt that would work out in the end because that was the environment I've been in within a school environment. And, and as I know, within a professional game, it's not that at all. It's not that. Um, so that's the regret I, I do have in terms of Derby, yeah. How do you sum up your time spent at Derby and in Derby? Um, it was the only, obviously, I was there the longest out of everywhere. And it was the highest level. Um, I love my time there. love my experiences there. I mean, I came down and saw Jakob Larson and Adam Boulder the other day uh, when they were in Derby. Um, one of the thing that do, one of the things that does bother me is at the training ground. They they built the new training ground and they've got all the lads that have come through the academy system and played in the first team up. Now for some reason I'm not up. Really. And I don't understand that. So, you know, again, maybe I've been too passive and not challenging that, but now I'm vocalising it. Now you can speak to people as well. Um, especially if you think I've co I come through their system as, a, you know, as, as one of the academy players and, and scored in the Premier League. There's very few that have achieved that. Um, and I don't know whether it was the case that it was under the, the the John Gregory era that the, the the training ground was built, and then I can't remember who was the head of the academy at that point. Once I was in the first team, it was a new guy. I've never worked under him, but he was part of the, the John Gregory crowd. That I don't know. I'm not on there, which I should be. And I have to be. It's not even I should be. I have to be. You can't right, read. A, you can't read a, by history. That's a, a talk. Derby's my project. I'm going to make that happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then go, and then we can go to the Telegraph and you know, come and pose and shake your hand. And yeah. because yeah, that does bother me, it feels like well, wait there. I, I did all that. Um, you know, the appearances I made. I'd always say times and by three or four because it was that difficult to get in that team. Yeah. You know, somebody coming through and playing 50, 60, 70 yard games, you know, through, off the bench and whatever in, in the championship is not when you're performing at the elite level of the Premier League, a completely different scenario. Um, so I'm very, very proud of that. It's took me a long time to be proud of that because that's all I knew. And I feel like I underachieved. But I've got to remember how my leg smashed it off when I was 20 years old at the same time. So... Um, have to be proud to play, you know, played Man United's treble winning team, played Arsenal, played like played big, big games against big players. Um, but that bothers me the fact that I'm not on there on the board, the, the board of history. Uh, that's it. I'm already trying to think of the hashtag, but we'll get people retweeting it. 
Okay. Nice one. Thank you for your time, Marvin. It's been absolutely brilliant. I know I appreciate it and good luck with everything you're doing and, and where you're going and, and following it on social media now. So no problem. Touch. There'll be lo- lots more, lots more. All right. Lovely. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for asking me. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank speak you. Soon. We'll speak soon.